Welcome to today's panel. We are discussing the nature of work and enterprise collaboration during these very changing times. I'm Michael Krigsman. I'm the publisher of CXO Talk, and I'm joined by three awesome panelists. So to begin, Amber Mack, welcome to the panel. Please tell us about Amber Mack and tell us about your work. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So I have been a keynote speaker for the past 13 years. I speak about the future of work and more specifically about uh, the future of automation and artificial intelligence. I have also written two books and I am president of Amber Mac Media. And it's a real pleasure to be here and I'm looking forward to this session. All right. Our next panelist is Angela Ashenden. Hey, Angela, how are you and welcome. Thanks, Michael. Hi, I'm good. Thank you. Uh, so I uh, lead the, the workplace transformation research practice at CCS Insight as an industry analyst uh, research and advisory firm. Uh, my specialism is in the area of enterprise collaboration, tools and technologies, uh, as well as employee experience and the future of work. Okay. And last but not least, April Sandoval, who is from Slack. Hey, April, how are you? Hi, Michael. Um, so I'm doing great. And today I'm here to talk about uh, Slack. And I'm here, I'm excited to share with you research from a recent survey, Slack sponsored. I will also share how our customers are using Slack differently. And I'll sprinkle in my own experience as an IT decision maker that has worked in top SaaS companies. So thank you, Michael. Well, you know, I spend a lot of time with CIOs and I have enormous respect for IT decision makers. So welcome all three panelists. Angela, let's start with you. Set the stage for us. How has work changed between now and the ancient days, like a year ago? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, you know, our, our kind of experience or our, our crash course in, in remote working over the, the last 12 months or so has really shown us that, you know, work is really is something that you do. It's not somewhere that you go. Um, and, and we've kind of seen that we've proved that, that remote work is now possible. You know, employees can be productive from anywhere. And, and that's starting to have a huge impact on the way that both employees and business leaders are thinking about the way we work going forward. And I think, you know, one of the biggest shifts has been our complete reliance now on technology to, to get our work done, you know, whether that's, you know, through meetings or, or coordinating work or just, you know, day-to-day -day interaction with colleagues. Um, and, and the tools that we're using to do that is changing too. So we've seen this huge growth in adoption of collaboration tools, you know, when it became clear that we couldn't just rely on email when when everyone's um, remote. And I think, you know, from for me, and you know, more importantly, it's it, what this has, has done is kind of increase people's appetite or, or maybe their acceptance of, of change in the way that we work. So breaking some of those long held habits that we couldn't really get out of um, when we were you know, in the office together. Uh, but now we're, we're kind of having to think again about how do we communicate? How do we build and maintain those relationships? And how do we sort of stay connected with peers? And, you know, and what's happening on, on our projects when we're not together uh, in, in the office. And, you know, a lot of that's been been taken for granted for a long time. And I think that's that we're you know, now very, very aware of that. 
Angela, yesterday I spoke with the head of product development for a company with $160 billion in revenue. And she made the comment to me that collaboration tools make work today possible. So just briefly, tell us why are collaboration tools so important right now? Well, I think, you know, it's something that we need to, uh, to, to enable people to get things done. I mean, we're kind of in a situation where we can't just kind of meet each other and, and kind of have quick conversations without using technology to do it. Um, it it's a point in time that, that you know, we had, didn't really see coming. We've been using technology more and more to connect with our uh, colleagues in different parts of the world for, for for some time now, but we've never been as reliant on them as, as we are right now. And so it's a situation where there is no other option. Uh, and so it's kind of forcing us to learn to use these tools in more effective ways. We're finding out, you know, the, the ways in which they're not so useful, that, you know, where we have to work around them. Um, and, and it's kind of spurring the market to kind of evolve and develop too. So it's kind of a bit of a kind of, um, uh, you know, self-fulfilling um, um, market area now because, because so many people are so reliant on it that the, the tools are, are kind of becoming central to, to the way we move forward. And before we move on to April, I, I just have to ask, how is collaboration different using these kinds of tools than in an email-centric or email-heavy environment? Well, I think some of it comes down to um, the behaviours that have become ingrained over the last however many years that we've been using email for. I mean, you think about it, um, we're not trained in how we use email when you join a company. We kind of make assumptions about how it works. Um, and so nothing has really evolved. Um, it's quite a, a formal mechanism. It doesn't really support a lot of the kind of the, the flexibility that you need to, to, to collaborate more broadly, to communicate more broadly uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and it's worked, it's worked fantastically well uh, for a very long time for that formal communication, particularly you know, across organizations, between organizations. Um, but it's kind of reaching the point where it, it's just unwieldy for the the the, um, the pace of, of communication, the pace of work that we're having to do in a in a completely online world, um, and and I think that's that's fundamentally you know it's it's it supports some of the asynchronous pieces that we need, but it doesn't quite go far enough in in some of the more timely uh, interactions. Now. April, Slack has conducted research recently, and you have data about how people work. And I think that data supports what Angela was just saying. So, so tell us about that research. Yeah, I mean, there's new data from a global survey of 1,200 IT decision makers and 3,000 end users showing the impact and importance of collaboration tools in the workplace. Um, there's three major industry-wide themes that emerge from this research. Number one is the way we work has permanently changed. I think we all feel that. Uh, number two is employees want a say in their company's tech stack. And number three, collaboration platforms are quickly replacing traditional communication. Like for instance, more than 50% of IT decision makers think email will be, will be replaced as the primary comms tool in the next three years. That's a big deal. 
what are your customers telling you? You have so many customers. What are you seeing ab about the way people are working, collaborating, using email, not using email? Yeah, I think before the pandemic, most companies thought they couldn't have their employees work at home and still be productive, engaged, and innovative. Um, as we are forced into this new way of work, we had to reinvent what our day looked like. Uh, work and life has become blended. Employees need to need flexibility, they need, and they're depending more on their software platforms. We've seen this in the way our users have matured their usage in Slack in this last year. I mean, before the pandemic, most companies use Slack as a DM tool, but now we're seeing more advanced usage as customers rely on Slack to connect their people, their partners, and their systems. Our average user spends more than 10 hours connected to Slack each day with nearly two hours actively engaged. And this just isn't casual usage anymore. Customers are having aha moments at Slack, uh, in Slack, and it's become really their virtual headquarters. So collaboration has become really part of the fabric of life for many, many, for many, many people now. Absolutely. Slack also is facing the same kind of realities about the, the pandemic and working remotely from many different locations. How has life at Slack changed and what is Slack doing? How has Slack evolved? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think Slack has been on a mission to change the way people work since it launched seven years ago. I mean, I started here three years ago and I remember a new hire, new hire orientation when they said, we don't use email here, we only use Slack. And I personally just didn't believe this story. So every morning I continued to check my email and it was silent. There was just crickets, nothing. And I did this for about a month and I knew that I would no longer be using email at work. So I learned a new way of working with Slack at the core. Um, I know it just doesn't replace email. It enables a whole new way of working. And my new um, routine is really, I go into Slack, I look at my star channels to make sure I'm staying on top of what's important to me. I browse through my project channels, which um, make sure that I stay on top of anything that's happened happened across the global teams while I was sleeping. And then I really look at DMs, but it doesn't really stop there. I mean, I approve PTO and expenses and I triage complex problems. And so this has really become the core of where we work each day. Uh, we're attached to Salesforce and Workday and all kinds of other products that just brings it into Slack. We approve, we get through our action and we move on. So I'm sharing this context really because Slack was in a unique place before the pandemic, which made our work from home transition uh, last year more more seamless, right? So I say seamless, but not really easy. You know, as a company, we listen to our employees and we experience the uh, we experimented with ways we could better support them. And we focused fostering connection and enabling flexibility. That was really the biggest changes that happened at Slack. Now with connection, we found that employees crave more personal connections with their team, with their managers and the company. We went all out, we experimented with all kinds of things, virtual coffees, virtual uh, games that we played. We um, had more frequent all hands, those kinds of things. And we needed to find a balance with these activities so we didn't overdo it. 
Um, on the flexibility side, um, one of my favorite new channels was called BizTech Parents. Mm -hmm. It's where we all shared, you know, this is, these are like, I would say that parents at work juggling all the kids stuff, help feeding their, their, their kids, all of those things. This is like hero mentality stuff and parents need to support each other. So we created a channel to share activities um, and just share our frustrations as well. And so we even created family emojis where when people are at work and they're, they're um, moving their time with their spouse, maybe they watch the kids between, between 10 and 12, we have an emoji, a family emoji. So we know that people are, um, are busy with their families at that time. So this asynchronous way of working is here to stay. I mean, we've learned many lessons in the last year that will help us make this trans transition into a more hybrid working model in the coming months. But um, this has been super helpful to provide flexibility and connection during this time. Amber, uh, we, we were just talking about uh, hero. April was used the term, these are hero activities. And so, and I think that the nature of professional relationships has also changed, right? It's not just the specific activities, but it's how we work together, how we relate to each other. So shed, shed some light on that for us, please. Yeah, I was just kind of laughing when April was chatting because uh, my son is doing virtual school right now and he messaged me a photo of his lunch, which he had to get himself and he's having a fudgesicle. So <laughs> I understand all of the challenges with this world of remote work. A lot has changed over the past year. And I think about this all the time and this is something that I often speak about. And I think what we're seeing right now is that in terms of those relationships, there has been a bit of an erosion of trust and uh, that erosion of trust has come from the fact that there are some people, leaders included, who can't trust unless they physically see people face to face. Mm -hmm. Now, there are some leaders in this remote world who can trust instantly and just give people the benefit of the doubt, but there are some who just can't get to that level in remote work. And it reminds me of a study I was reading recently from Working Den, where they said that 76% of people were thrown into this world of remote work with absolutely no training. And I think about what we just spoke about. When you started a new job, you have orientation, you know, you're given that booklet, you're told where everything is, and you go through that process and everybody recognizes that you're new. And yet in this world of remote work, we have essentially in some ways thrown people to the wolves and not given them the training on this incredible and powerful technology. So for me, I feel in some ways that that erosion of trust has taken place because we haven't really provided that training to many of these team members who are working in this new remote world. And I think that's the piece that we have to get right in order for this to be successful in the future. You know, when you talk about trust, I think that gets right into the heart of how we manage remote teams. So in a, in a distributed environment, Amber, what thoughts do you have on managing distributed teams? Well, I think, again, it goes back to setting expectations, right? So uh, I have done a lot of training over the past year talking about how to be effective in virtual video calls. And so one of the things that I've realized through research in that space is recognizing that 
you know, most people are exhausted on these video calls because we even schedule them to take place for full hours or 30 minutes when we're having these team meetings and not really recognizing that, hey, people need a bit of a breather or a break. You know, there's something called Zoom fatigue, which is a real thing because when you're staring with no break, you actually get fatigued. So there are recommendations that have come out from organizations like Harvard that have said, instead of 30 minute meetings in terms of video calls, you should schedule 25 minute meetings. I, I see more and more people saying, hey, we're gonna have Zoom free Fridays is one example where there are no video calls. And so I think the important thing for managers and leaders is to one, have empathy and to recognize that not everybody is in the same same situation as you. Maybe they have kids, maybe they're taking care of an aging parent, and then figure out what's going to make sense for people. And this is the challenge, right? Because in this work from home model, everybody has their own personalized needs. It's not like an office space where you can assume, okay, everybody's coming in, we're going to give them equal amount of room and, and, and the same rules. In some ways, everybody needs different rules. And, and that's something I think we haven't really accounted for properly. Let's talk about how enterprises buy purchase software. Historically, centralized purchasing controlled the decision as to what to buy. Today, we live in a much more highly collaborative environment. Angela, describe to us this change in the way IT decision makers purchase technology and, and other types of products? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think the, the first thing to say is, you know, the point where we're in now, I think it's a really interesting time to note that given all the pressures that we're seeing in the world, uh, in economies around the world, IT spending is increasing. So there, there's a there's a real kind of drive for increased investment generally within businesses. But with you know the the way in which that's being spent and the way in which it's being prioritised is 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 definitely shifting. Um, and, and I think so. It, it's interesting because um, collaboration technology, you know, depending on the type of collaboration technology you're talking about, has been has come from different parts of the organisation historically. So some elements are very IT driven. Uh, and are kind of seen as infrastructure spend and, and they kind of implemented uh, as, a, as a kind of a, a pure infrastructure thing, not really looked at from, a, from an individual business unit perspective, whereas other types of collaboration tools and, and Slack would probably traditionally be one of those, would probably come from a more uh, localized part of the business where it's been um, you know, funded by a particular team that needs to work more effectively and it's driven by the need to, to work uh, well together uh, collectively. Uh, but what interestingly, what we're starting to see over the last um, year or so is that there's a bit of a shift uh, to where these tools are actually becoming much more strategic within organizations because like we said before, everyone needs them to get their work done. And so suddenly you come from a point where it's kind of being sourced out of a particular part of the organization to being actually the decision being made much higher uh, place within the organization uh, and the impact on that is that of course the 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 factors that the de determine the selection process are also changing too so you see much more focus on you know cloud resilience and reliability but also on security um, and, and that's kind of really becoming really uh, noticeable not just in in large organizations but in small businesses as well um, so that, I think that's one thing but I think the other the other element is um, you know when it comes to collaboration technology, it's a slightly different um, uh, perspective from other tools in that, um, you know, it's so driven that the success of the technology is so driven by 
uh, whether people use it. And so employee preference is still incredibly important uh, in these purchasing decisions, even as even you know in the mix of everything uh, that I've talked about already in terms of security and there's that. The need for employees to to want to use the technology uh, is, is really high profile and decision makers are really conscious of it. Mm -hmm. Amber, April, what are you guys seeing in terms of this employee-centric culture kind of infiltrating the way that organizations buy technology? One of the things I think about all the time is just uh, consumer habits. And, you know, the word we keep hearing about over the past 12 months, and I'm sure we're going to get sick of this term, is acceleration. We've seen an acceleration of habits with technology. And so one example of that could be uh, voice assistants. We know that last year about 50% of people who were using smartphones and smart speakers were using voice more regularly, probably because they're in their own homes. And so it became a natural way to ask for questions or you know, interact with their smart home products. And I mentioned that because I think when we talk about that employee centricity, it's important to remember that uh, with this acceleration of adoption of new trends and technology among consumers, you have to think about how quickly things are changing and the habits that they've developed. So, you know, I know yep. Slack is one example. Recently, they actually added a feature and that they will be rolling this out. Uh, you guys, April will know more about this, but in terms of the, the voice capabilities. And I think those are the type of things that are going to be so critical because they're mirroring the trends that are happening in the consumer world. And I think that's going to be critical in the future for IT decision makers to recognize you don't want to be two years behind what people are actually using in their everyday lives. Yeah, I think I actually saw this in the survey results as well, where 37% of users are frustrated that they're not included in software decisions. And as, as we have this blend of work and, uh, and life together, um, technology has become the bread and butter of our personal and professional lives. And we have choices of what we use at home and we want to have a say in what we use at work. And I think in the typical, uh, you know, years ago, uh, IT would make choices on software based on cost and operational efficiency. And that operational efficiency was really about IT, right? Was it going to be easy to implement? Um, was Were we going to have to hire more people? And so there's been a huge shift from focusing on operational efficiency and cost to really providing tools that impact the business growth, right? And create a user experience. We have consumer uh, experience and we wanna bring that into work. I mean, especially with all these emojis and all the things that we now um, are more fluid and are experienced and can can be more productive when we bring our consumer experience to our, to our work experience. Um, Another thing to mention is that Slack has every day we in, we get introduced this way to organizations. Um, I think, like Angela said, there's a function that that chooses Slack. They start using it, and they become huge champions of Slack, and then pressure IT to make decisions. And there is a new accelerated um, change where IT is using really choosing collaboration tools to be more strategic in their purchasing power. So it's been a great dynamic that's flipping flipping on its head, if you will. And we do want to reach out to our end users. We want to hear, they know their problems that they're trying to solve way more than we do. They know what kind of experience they want and listening and providing that feedback and bringing them on the journey. Yes, it doesn't mean that 
governance and security and all those things are back burners. They're still top of mind, but experience and simplicity is also at top of mind when purchasing um, new tools. And, and just to pick up you know, on that, they also they know uh, they know more these days, right? I mean, that's something to consider too. It used to be that perhaps the employee didn't know as much as the IT team, but now if you have an employee who's using technology in their lives, you know, 16, 17, 18 hours of the day, they know when a video call tool isn't good. They know when a collaboration <laughs> software tool isn't good because they use other stuff in their lives that's better, and that's also a consideration. Angela, we hear that tools like Slack are user-directed. What is that? And how does that fit into this whole notion of employee engagement and ensuring that these knowledgeable employees are getting exactly what they want? Yeah, well, I think a lot of it comes back down to this um, the idea that the tool is not forcing you to work a particular way, it can be molded, you can mold it to the way that you want to work. So it's being able to, to, you know, having a flexible platform that can be configured, but also you can, you can maybe, you know, we hear a lot about system developer type tools, like no, no code technologies that allow you to customize your own workflows and to kind of design the tool to do what you need it to do to make your life easier. Um, one of the things we see coming out in our um, our own survey research is, you know, how much time people are wasting every day uh, on tasks that are really quite manual. They, they don't need to be manual; they can be automated. And so, if the technology can start to to take on some of that for you, um, then they be it becomes extremely valuable to the employee. And I think it also becomes a much much more, you know. In, in tech terms, sticky tool. You know, it's somewhere that you 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 kind of become reliant on uh, to get your work done. And I think that's that's kind of becomes critical. You know, that the, the tool is adapting to to your work processes rather than the other way around. That's a really important point. I just want to mention that for the folks watching, you should be asking questions and leaving your comments in the chat because you use these tools and you're involved and we want to hear what you're doing. But Amber, you know, we, we spend time with IT folks. What do users actually want from the CIO and from IT professionals? Well, I, I think more than anything, they want to use software that makes their lives easier. And I, I think that is the you know critical piece, especially during this world of remote work, that we want everything to also seamlessly work together. So I would say the demands of the employee uh, are not small demands. I think they're, they're definitely aggressive in terms of what their expectations are in this world of remote work today. And more than anything, I think they want to be listened to and they want to be heard by these IT professionals and leaders so they understand again what those needs, those specific needs are. So they do want a voice. I mean, we've talked about that already in terms of that employee centricity. And I think that's the piece that is probably going to be even more important in this world of remote work. And also in some cases, even more personalized depending on that specific person as well. April, I think a common theme that is emerging here is this notion of, again, being employee-centric, building an employee-centric culture. So the question therefore comes up is, how do we do that? 
And especially for organizations that historically have been very top-down, very hierarchical, how do we, how do we, how do we make an employee-centric culture? Yeah, I mean, I think it always starts with the grounding foundations of culture, your core values of your organization. Um, and then when you provide tools that enable you to show up that way, like Slack definitely provides transparency in the way we communicate and talk with each other. I mean, that, that drives a different conversation altogether. Um, there are still things that need to happen from the top, top down, like policies that really incorporate and, and make make it bound that flexibility and connection is important to us. Things like at Slack, we introduced Fridays during this time, which is once a month, the whole entire company gets to take off Friday um, to, to really reduce burnout and to really give us that time to be alone um, and take care of our families. We definitely don't have people slacking on those days, which is great. We've also introduced um, emergency time off, which is nice, again, because we're in a different world, we're taking care of parents, we're taking care of kids, we may have family members that have COVID, we may need to go to the doctors. It gives us that extra time and flexibility to take hours out of our day to, to tend to those things. Because as everyone knows, we, uh, we bring our life to work and we bring work home. And with this new blended way, um, it's, it's creating more flexibility with our lives. So I think as we, as the company provides the framework around culture and our core values, it gets introduced into tools like Slack um, as people, as we see behaviors show up. Now, I think this, 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 sorry, no, I go, was go, just going to say, it's <laughs> to, to employee engagement as well. I mean, this is the, the kind of the key about the employee centric approach is about having an environment where employees feel uh, confident to, to, to be themselves, but also to, to give their best to, 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 to do a role that they enjoy doing so that they want to be there. So they want to be, uh, you know, bringing the, the taking the company to, to a positive place and being part of that journey. And so, you know, giving them a bit more autonomy to be flexible in the way that they work uh, day to day, uh, you know, the tools that they want to be using to get their work done, allowing that kind of less, slightly less formal um, uh, interaction than you might traditionally get in a kind of an old school type organization, all kind of helps people to feel like they're part of the organization, they're not just an employee. Is there an impact on customer experience of this shift to being a more employee-centric organization? Any panelists, any thoughts? I think, I mean, from my perspective, I've always thought that the, the customer experience kind of has to be an extension of the employee experience. So if you don't have a, uh, an open and an engaging and, and um, a supportive employee experience, it's very difficult to, to provide a, a customer experience that's going to be positive and that's going to attract people to your, to your brand, for example, and, and kind of drive things forward. So I do think it's kind of a fundamental, a lot of organizations have historically started at the customer experience first uh, and the employee experience is thought about secondarily. But I do think to a large extent, having that kind of strong culture in place first enables a much more effective customer experience. You know, as I, as I speak with business leaders, that's actually one of the themes that has really emerged that if you want to have happy customers, delighted customers, begin with your employees. 
Make sure that your employees are being taken care of exactly as the panelists have been saying. But April, since we're talking about enterprise software purchasing, I have to ask you a question relating to best-of-breed software versus software suites. So would you explain that to us? And what does your data say about this topic? Yeah, I think I'm going to, you know, bring in my own IT uh, experience here where really, if you asked me this question 10 years ago, should I uh, go for best in breed or or purchase a suite? I would definitely say the suite was the way to go. And that's because the IT focus was really on operational efficiency and costs. But as we've all moved to the cloud, as um, as tools are much easier to integrate, we have APIs, you know, as a, as a data person, right? I would, I, it would be super hard to get data from all these systems. I'd have to hire uh, uh, highly skilled workers and it would take me a lot of time. But now with um, integrations being much easier, um, these things happen much faster and I'd much rather go with uh, best in breed and really bring in the focus again is on employee experience with simplicity and user experience with tools and bringing that consumer life to your work so that we make employees productive. The entire shift of our thinking has changed over the last years as we've turned in from IT to business technology and really bring technology choices to the business that really helps them be more productive and engaged and connected. So really that whole focus on simplicity, ease of use, getting the job done. And of course, now there are APIs and lots of integrations, so you can pick the tool that's gonna to be best. Is that a fair summary of what you absolutely. just said? Yeah, absolutely. We've, we've, we've right. also started our, our own behavior in Slack to do this, right? We, we create public channels um, on remote best practices and we get feedback and we listen to employees and they share with us what, what are the gaps in their daily job? What other tools are they looking for? And they are part of bake-offs. They're part of the decision-making. And of course, um, we talk about governance and security and we make sure that all the tools we choose are very secure. Um, but again, we want to hear feedback from our employees on ease of use and simplicity and all of those things to help their jobs uh, be better. Yeah, I like how that simplicity and and really placing the end user first, as opposed to, you know, here's what IT specs and here's what IT wants. It's about getting the job done for the user. Well, let's talk about the future and where is this new way of working going? Are we are we ever going to go back to work in the office? Are these changes permanent? There's a lot of questions. So Angela, share your thoughts on that, please. Uh, sure. Uh, so I, yeah, I think that's that's the, the big thing that we're, we're waiting for now. I think, uh, uh, especially here in the UK, where we're kind of the, the prospect of, of offices opening again is, is kind of almost within reach. So I think that is that is the kind of question is what happens now, um, and and frankly we're now at a point where you know we've accepted that that remote work is possible. We we know we want it. Employees want that flexibility, so it's not going away. Uh, and as much as businesses want to um, 
uh, you know, get people back into the workplace. Uh, we're going to have a period of, you know, this hybrid working uh, certainly for some time, and I think most likely for uh, for forever. We're going to be kind of people are going to become much more comfortable with mixing between being in the office and being at home. Uh, and we'll kind of we've got a whole new learning curve ahead of us in terms of what that means for. Uh, you know the way that we work together and what the office is for and how you know all of those kind of complexities but I think you know either way we, we need to understand how uh, you know how we're going to work and actually a lot of the the lessons that we've learned over the last 12 months I think will be the fundamentals of how we work going forward because even with um, the offices offices starting to open again you know so many people are going to not be in the office that you can't rely on that office culture in the way that you did historically you know you need to be having a a, 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 a kind of a platform for work that is digital it has to be a digital platform because some people are going to be in the office and some people are not uh, and so i think that's going to be kind of the thing that people are starting to get their head around now and realizing that you know this is uh, We've, we've kind of learned a lot um, as we've gone along, but now we're at the point where we have to think more strategically about how do we uh, recognize that this is a long-term investment for us in terms of having that that digital platform for work um, and, and what are the kind of the routines and the, the, the processes that need to adapt in order to, to take best advantage of that. Is there such a thing as a physical location, the default where work will happen. Any panelists, any thoughts on that one? Do you mean only physical? Well, so in the future, the meaning, you know, over the next six months to a year, where will the default default work location be? Maybe I put location in quotes. <laughs> It's probably going to depend on the type of company that you are, but I'm also hearing a lot about what's happening even in commercial real estate. And it's fascinating to me to think about those physical workplaces as potentially adapting over the months and years to come, you know, recognizing the childcare challenges that people face. Do many of these spaces have childcare as part of them? Do they redesign these commercial spaces to be much more collaborative? not necessarily places where people come to necessarily work nine to five, but come to have these collaboration meetings to make sure that they have, you know, gyms on site, whatever it might be. So I think the office of the future, I think it looks different. And, and I don't think that it's necessarily something where a hundred percent of people are going to do one thing or the other. Yeah. I know one thing I find amazing. Sorry. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me take the moderator's privilege and jump in here for one sec. One thing that I find amazing is when I ask that question about, okay, where is the default location for work? Amber responded like, huh? You mean, you mean a physical place? So Angela, I mean, that just shows how much our mentality has changed. Yeah, and I, I think that's the thing, and especially if you're looking at the next six to 12 months, I and mean, we're, we're, we're a long way from being out of where we are now, but I think even if you look beyond that to the kind of 12 to 18, 24 months, um, a lot of people are still going to be predominantly uh, working away from the office, and I think you're kind of going to be in a situation where you know, offices will be, they will have certain functions. You'll be going there for uh, for maybe to, to meet up with people periodically for, for collaborative uh, interactions. You're not gonna be going there for work on a day-to-day -day basis, 
but it will vary by person. You know, different people will have different expectations. You know, from from what I'm seeing, a lot of younger workers are quite keen to be back in the office, maybe because they're not in a sort of family situation. So I think a lot of that kind of varies depending on who you are and and where you work. But but we really are quite. It's 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 a definite shift that realization that you you know. Personally, I'm more productive when you know if I'm if I'm doing my research if I'm at home. Uh, but if I'm talking to people, maybe I will want to go into the office periodically just to kind of see them in person. So I think there's going to be a lot of that, um, and it, it will be quite a personal thing. And organisations kind of need to give people that flexibility. I think uh, going forward, and that possibly is the biggest challenge. <laughs> April, what did Slack's data? tell us about user expectations for collaboration platforms and for working going forward? Yeah, if I go back to the research, um, uh, uh, there's long-term research. Our research shows two themes. One is email will cease to be the main communication platform businesses use, um, which means more than 50% of IT decision makers think email will be replaced as primary comms tools in the next three years. And the second is meetings will be replaced as by asynchronous messaging. This is 74% of users are interested in software tools that allow them to work asynchronously. So as a result, collaboration platforms are really here to stay and will play an increasingly important role in everything we do at work. And from a personal so perspective, that's a very yeah, like if I if I go, add my go. personal Sorry. perspective I, I, here, I'm my, just saying, I keep forward. interrupting you guys. I'm okay. a rude okay. moderator. I apologize. So go That's go okay. forward. My, my work life has been transformed working at Slack, right? Um, I can't imagine working for a company in the future that doesn't use it. Um, it's definitely going to be a prerequisite. And, and that's really because Slack has become the virtual headquarters um, at Slack because this is where we communicate. This is where we have formal communications, informals. This is where we triage problems, where we share social things, um, make decisions. All of those things has become much easier with with a collaboration platform. Amber, what about the health and the well-being of remote teams? It's so different to connect over Zoom meetings, it's, you know, versus just being there and grabbing a cup of coffee. How do we take care of our teams? Yeah, I mean, it is really different. You know, I, I can't help but think about the role that uh, leaders will have to play in terms of healing after going through this process that has been very stress stressful for so many people. And, you know, we know from some of the data that exists out there that 50 plus percent of people are feeling an increase in anxiety while they're working in these remote environments. So I think that's something that we also have to consider is how can technology help that experience versus hinder it? And, you know, if we relate this to collaboration software at our company, all we use is Slack. We don't email each other. If we do, I feel like someone's in big trouble and something bad is happening. But Slack is the tool that we use to basically, you know, stay online and be connected. And I think it also plays a role in terms of mental health so people feel less alone. Whereas to me, within our organization, in terms of email, you know, no one says to me, oh, I'm just so glad that I was able to reach you on email. Like <laughs> that never happens. So I think that collaboration software role will be more important in the future. And I also think we have to consider 
what role we have to play as leaders, especially IT leaders, when we choose technology to think about the wellness of individuals. You know, I am thrilled to hear more and more about uh, video platforms as one example that are integrating tools that allow people to take mindfulness breaks. I mean, I think that's a really smart move in the right direction. And I think we're gonna hear more about that, how technology can play a role in wellness in remote work, knowing that the people at this point are stressed, they're anxious, and, and many of them are sick, not necessarily with COVID-19, but just with this burden that we have all carried for the past 12 months. And so it's gonna be interesting to see the opportunities that exist for IT leaders to think about that wellness piece, just like virtual educators have to think about that. You know, Think about when we turned to virtual school, everybody said, okay, we'll just get online and do virtual school. Then you realize, hey, it's not good for a child or an adult to sit there for eight hours on a screen. We're gonna realize those same realities within the workplace as well. You know, I think people have real concerns about this idea of wellness and what to do and how life in a practical sense is gonna be changing. And, you know, a, a question just came up in on LinkedIn that seems to be pretty popular. And somebody asks, how do you approach the challenges of onboarding new staff remotely? Panelists, any, any thoughts on that advice that you can offer? It's an important question. We're just being polite yeah, now by waiting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was our first major focus area was how do we get new hires ingrained in the culture? I mean, when we're in the office and we're hustling and bustling and we're having coffees and, and just the diversity that you see, it's just an amazing. And so now you have to create that in a box almost, right? Because they're just receiving a box from you and you have to be more intentional on how you want to introduce culture and values to the new hires, um, not just sending them a computer and say, good luck, hope you get this set up, but but still incorporating all the social and work um, aspects. You know, you're you're teaching them how to work at Slack in a different way. I'm, I'm sure most companies are trying to figure that out and um, and making it OK to talk out loud about uh, anxiety of not feeling connected. I mean, the biggest thing I've probably brought on 20 plus people during this pandemic. And the number one thing they tell me is they don't know who the players are in the room. Like everyone just looks the same. They don't get the same dynamic of like, okay, who do I really need to listen to? Who's really important? And so we never had to write those things down before, but now we're creating packets and, and those kinds of things and really being explicit around who are your business partners? What is important at Slack? And, and helping them ingrain in, in how we work every day. So I don't think we have all the answers by any means, but it was our number one priority once we, once we went remote to make sure that our new hires really understand the culture and the, the energy and the excitement we have internally. Amber, are you seeing this also, this kind of nervousness or or maybe that's too strong say subtle and anxiety that hey i don't i don't know these people and what do i do and how do i interact and the whole social aspect and does every question have to be a formal question that we have a meeting for 
I think that's true. And I honestly think the elephant in the room, and I'm going to throw this out there because there are three women on this panel, uh, is the fact that women, especially right now, working remotely, are uh, bearing the brunt of a lot of this anxiety. You know, they take on the role uh, in the home of, uh, you know, the, the mother, sometimes a homemaker. And so there's a lot of invisible work that comes along with that role. And so I think you're right. It's very difficult. You know, if you think about the onboarding process, very difficult to bring a new person in and not really know the challenges that they're facing at home in an environment that has become challenging for everyone, but for especially for women. So, you know, in Toronto and in Canada here right now, we talk about the she session, you know, it's a, a term I think everybody on the panel and people watching have probably heard. And I think about that regularly is that uh, this is an anxious time for everyone, but uh, women in particular, really, in particular are uh, incredibly affected in terms of remote work because they're, again, they have all that invisible work to go along with their day job as well. But it is interesting. I mean, you think we've been in the pandemic for, for a year now and uh, I've spoken to so many people who uh, joined their companies towards the beginning of the pandemic. They've been there for a year and they've still not met their colleagues at all. And it's kind of a phenomenal um, um, reality. And, and it is interesting because it is forcing us to think about how you get to know your colleagues if you're not actually meeting them in person. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a learning curve for everybody, I think. And, and, and in a lot of cases, it's, it's uh, it's going to take us a while to, to get our heads around it, but I think it really highlights the importance of those, uh, you know, that, that business collaboration tools do have to have some informal element to them as well. It's not enough for it to just be, you know, meeting tools are fantastic, but it's not a formal scenario that we're talking about here. You're talking about kind of the day to day. How do we kind of touch base with with our, our colleagues, you know, with our direct reports, make sure they're OK. It has to be something that is um, um, you know, that, that you have the flexibility to do. And I think it goes back to what I think Amber was talking about earlier in terms of, you know, making sure that, that, that management have the training and they understand what's needed of them in this new environment that maybe they kind of did naturally in the office, but, but it, it's maybe not so natural now. April, uh, collaboration tools will be playing such a crucial part going forward, what is the role of collaboration tools? Do you think it's going to be different than we've seen over the last year? Is it just a natural extension? Give us your thoughts, just looking forward a little bit. Yeah, I think um, I think collaboration tools will still play an integral part of our day-to-day -day jobs. And, and even when we have a hybrid environment, I know that we're seeing, you know, 80% of of workers still want to have a hybrid model once the world opens up, and and collaboration tools will still be in the center of that. Where you have your work information, again, you can have formal stuff, but there's a lot of social stuff. I mean, I can peruse any time during the day and peruse topics that I love. Uh, charcuterie boards over the weekend, like what what are other people doing? Um, I'm a huge football fan and or soccer fan, if you will, wherever you're located. And we have soccer channels, so I get to engage with other people in my company that are not on my teams that just have the same social love that I do. Um, I had 10 puppies during this time and there's puppy channels. I mean, what doesn't make people happier than puppies and cats for some reason? I don't know, it's 
super popular. Everybody loves them. And you get to thread these things. Again, we're, we're at home. We we're doing this blend of work and life and collaboration tools are allowing you to do that as well. It's just a matter of how intentional you are with doing the informality and the formal things all in one place, but it definitely can be done. Okay. We're getting to the time where we need to start wrapping up pretty soon, but there's a couple of other things we need to just cover and we have a couple of questions. So uh, how do you define customer experience when it comes to collaboration platforms? Is it, is it productivity? Is it time spent in the platform? Is it efficiency? So how do you define customer experience for collaboration? April, maybe I'll direct that one to you. How do we define customer experience? I mean, we do look at um, active users. Um, we look at them engaged, not just being connected, but we look at um, how they're using the tool, how many apps they have connected, how, um, how many channels that they've created. There's a whole suite of information and data that we look at to really identify if if um, the stickiness, I know someone brought that up before, the stickiness of the product and how engaged are, are people in interacting. Um, and I think uh, when people connect to their apps and we know that people are in collaboration tool and they can again, just go approve a PTO or approve an expense or or give feedback around a candidate during, um, during interviewing process. I mean, we're keeping them in one place. We're not asking them, go to this one place and list the 500 tools that we've implemented here and pick the one that you need to use right now. We're, we're bringing them to a place where they're having conversations, they're making decisions and they're, they're actioning and moving on. So, um, so I think that's, that's how we look at, uh, at uh, customer experience and how people are, are using the tool and if they're creating stickiness or not. Amber, your thoughts on this issue, customer experience and collaboration platforms? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would just really echo what April said. Um, and I know that's no fun on a panel when you do that, Michael, so <laughs> I apologize. Um, but I think she hit uh, the nail on a lot of those uh, uh, points. And, and it is about that engagement, how these collaboration tools uh, are used and, and leveraged. Uh, and, you know, I would love to see even in the future when we talk about collaboration tools and, and not to keep uh, repeating myself about the wellness pieces, you know, is there a way to kind of understand how people are feeling and, and can that be part of that collaboration tool as far as ensuring the overall wellness of teams? And I think that would be an interesting uh, addition to this conversation around collaboration tools as how they could really present a, a whole picture as far as not just productivity, which obviously we've been obsessed with uh, for many, many years, but in the future, I think we're going to have to take other things into account. All right. As we finish up, I'd like to ask each of you to very briefly share your advice for re successful remote working. Angela, let's start with you. Okay. Um, well, I think from, from my perspective and, and, and my experience as an analyst, this is very uh, pertinent is, is is to try not to get caught up filling uh, your day with with scheduled meetings and and I think it's kind of a tendency that we feel like when we're remote that we have to um, uh, be constantly checking in with people and kind of we try to to kind of make we formalize it and I think that's 
sometimes it goes too far because then people feel like the only way that they're going to talk to you is through a formal discussion. I think mm -hmm. trying to be a bit more sort of spontaneous in terms of those conversations is actually much easier for both parties to cope with. Um, and I think the other one would be um, that you don't always have to have your video on for meetings, uh, and that's my one of my my real bugbears is that we've you know we've we've kind of understood it, it's amazing that video has become the norm over the last twelve months, um, but it is tiring, and I think recognizing that it's okay to be able to switch your video off now and again, and and just kind of going ahead and doing it. <laughs> Very practical advice. April, <laughs> your thoughts on successful remote work? Yeah, I think everyone craves connection and management needs to prioritize fostering a sense of connection among their teams and prevent burnout. And facilitating connection takes work um, and it takes intention. And so just hosting meetings and bringing people together that way is just not enough. We have to foster connections in different ways. We have to bring social activities into those uh, connections and we need to keep our employees engaged and enable an open environment where people get to bring their baggage, if you will, you know? Yeah, my kids are sick today and I'm, you know, pulling my hair out. <laughs> it's gotta be okay sometimes, right? Um, and so I think as long as we are flexible in our expectations, of course, productivity is, is number one, but we also have to show empathy in the, and meet people where they're at and make sure that, um, that they stay engaged with, uh, with, with our culture and how we work each day. Also, really, really good advice. I love when you mentioned that term, empathy. And clearly, this notion of caring is a real important undercurrent here. Amber, looks like you're going to finish us out with advice for successful remote work. Uh, well, I would just um, echo what Angela and April said, and I would also say we have to think about the future of work a little bit differently, and I'm thinking of a, an analogy. If you think about the early days of Starbucks, uh, everybody was referring to it as the third place, right? This place where people were going to go and gather. And then eventually that just wasn't enough. And now we have, you know, mobile orders. Uh, people have drive throughs if they want to pick up their coffee. They can hang out in the store. There are lots of different ways that we're able to get our Starbucks coffee. And when I think about the future of remote work, I feel it's a lot like that, right? I don't think you can kind of, you know, once the genie's out of the bottle, put it back in and say it's only going to be one thing. I think we have to accept that it's going to be different for everyone. You know, if Starbucks said we're no longer going to have mobile orders, it was just a test, you'd be like, oh, I've depended on that. And I think we're going to see the same thing with remote work. It's going to work for some people and they're going to do it well, but some people are going to need to go back to that office. And some people are going to need a hybrid model. And I don't think we're ever going to be able to get out of that scenario for the future. Yeah, I love that. The, basically, the future is Starbucks, wherever you happen to be. That's where your work environment is. And clearly, this panel has demonstrated the richness of remote work, the importance of having the right tools, of the right kind of platforms to make it possible, to foster interactions that are formal in meetings and social, and that reflect the needs of employees and fostering an empathetic culture that puts the employees first. As somebody that speaks with CIOs all the time, 
the most successful, the most innovative IT folks that I know recognize these lessons. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Slack for making this possible. You can check out more by going to slack.com slash blog. Thanks so much, everybody. I hope you have a great day. And thanks to the great panelists.